rest of us who are staying in. If you want to turn in a Bible to Acts chapter 3, and we're continuing our series in the early chapters of the book of Acts. We're going to read most of this chapter, and we're going to begin at verse 1, Acts chapter 3, very familiar story to all of us, I'm sure. Peter heals a lame beggar. Let's hear God's word. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the, the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus... This man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. And we thank God for this reading from his truth. Amen. As I was preparing for this passage this morning, I had a, a very clear recollection of, of an event that had happened many years ago, many years previously. I was sitting in my car, and you'll know the spot. It's the, the traffic lights just outside Musgrave Park Hospital on the, sort of the, on the road up to the, up to the King's Hall. 
and I was, as I was sitting in my car at those traffic lights, uh, approaching from the direction of the, the King's Hall was uh, a very large, uh, you could almost say ostentatious RV-looking type thing. You know, that very American camper van trailer sort of thing going on. Uh, there was, whoever was driving it was evidently making a statement. Uh, it had also some very extremely flamboyant writing over the bonnet of, uh, of this vehicle. I couldn't read it as it was a little bit in the distance, but then as it came close to me, I was able to read it, and it said, Elvis on tour. And then as the, the vehicle came a little bit closer and eventually passed my own car, it was then that I saw him. Jet black hair, gelled up into a, a very significant quiff, very black, bushy uh, sideburns, and he gave me a wave as he passed. Now, it was then that I began to wonder, wherever this vehicle was headed, and it would have been headed down towards uh, Boucher, at the end of Boucher Road and onto the motorway, whether this vehicle was then heading, uh, as it were, west, uh, over maybe Portadown, Dungannon, maybe going to, to New, well, Newry, could have been going even Port Rush, wherever it was going. And whoever he was going to appear in front of, what would have been the expectation of the people who would be watching him, listening to him? And I'm sure, well, you would hope that the expectations weren't too high. So those pretty low sort of expectations of the average Elvis impersonator. I want to come back to that in a moment, but I want to give the background to the passage we've just read now, Acts chapter 3. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That's the, the usual time for prayer. And so every devout Jew would be making their way into the temple cup in temple courts. Peter and John, like many others, are making their way. It says here that they have made their way through one particular entrance, and that was called the Gate Called Beautiful, which was a, a double-door entrance, 75 feet high, made of Corinthian brass. It was a significant entry point. And we're also told here that at this gate, there was a crippled man who routinely sat there to beg for money. And this was, of course, before days of any form of social security. So for him, it was a life or death situation. But it was also a religious duty for other people to give money to such people. So in many ways, we could see this as a bit of a win-win situation. The man desperately needed money, and people who were going into the temple they needed to feel good about themselves as they were making their way into the temple. And what better way to throw a coin in the direction of this man and you could come in to the presence of God feeling happy with yourself that you'd done the right thing so it was good for everybody. But what about the expectations of the man 
who was crippled and was seated at the foot of this gate. I get the sense that they must have been fairly low because he wasn't really looking at people as they were walking past. You see that uh, as you read verse 4 because whenever Peter and John are coming past them, it, it says that Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Now, maybe it's a mixture of shame and embarrassment of just having to be there. Maybe it was the fact that it was sunny and it's hard to keep looking up at people who are walking past with the sun behind them. For whatever reason, this man wasn't really looking at people, nor would people really look at him. But Peter and John were different. So even in the midst of this pretty anonymous situation where people are just walking past, all this man is seeing is people's feet as they walk past. So for him, the money is pretty anonymous in effect as well. But, and what we're really noticing here is that something is happening, not so much even in the, in the life of this crippled beggar, but in the life, in the lives of Peter and John. And I'm coming to this passage with the understanding that the Holy Spirit has been working in these two men, these two followers of Jesus, and he's changing them. And he's working in them so that they can be the people who will in turn impact and affect other people's lives. And if we are reading that with that understanding, then we should be sitting now thinking about Peter and John and wondering how could God, by his Holy Spirit, be working in me so that I can be the person who can impact and change and affect other people's lives. And what I'm noticing, first of all, in this passage, the first change that really comes about in looking at Peter and John is that they, and it's up there on, this, on the screen, it says that they were people-focused. If we are actually going to have an impact uh, for, the, for Jesus and for the kingdom of God, we need to be people who actually see people, who recognize people and are moved by seeing people. Uh, Peter and John in the moment says, I mean, they're going somewhere. They need to get into the temple. They need to go and pray. There are certain places they need to go. Uh, they're not ha necessarily hanging around. They know what they want to do. So they could have just been running straight in. And it but this is not simply now for them a matter of throwing a few coins in this man's direction because they take time to really notice him because I believe that God by his Holy Spirit is working in them so that they begin to see and recognize people and see the needs that people have. So despite the busyness, despite the fact that they could have been just rushing on in, they take time. And they take time to recognize that they can offer something to this man that's not simply money, but something better, and that is Jesus. Because Peter knows what the Holy Spirit has been working in him. And so that's maybe the first slight challenge from this passage. It's relatively small little detail, but it's so that we as individuals, we as who would claim to follow Jesus, that we actually see people, that we notice people, that we care for people, that we have time for people. That's the very basic, that's the, the very central lesson that we need to learn if we are going to be people who are going to impact others for the kingdom, that we really see people. But there's something else I notice in this passage because after 
after the man's been healed, something else happens. But what I notice that Peter's reaction to this is that he still seizes the moment. He does something about it. If you look at verse 11, it's evident that there's a commotion now after the man's been healed. It says in verse 11, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them. So you imagine, what would Peter now do in this situation? He's drawn attention to himself. He's done something. People are noticing this. They're running. They want to come and hear and see what's been happening. So what does Peter do? Well, Peter could run away. He could pretend that nothing had happened. After all, he's, he's in the very epicenter of all the people who are opposed to Jesus in the kingdom because the Jewish leaders wanted nothing to do with Jesus. They crucified him. And so Peter easily could have just have run away, but he doesn't run. And you notice in verse 12, it says, when Peter saw this, he said to them, he begins to speak. We could understand that, that Peter seizes the opportunity that has now been presented to him to speak the gospel and to tell others about Jesus Christ and what he's done. And I think that says something to us too by way of challenge. Now, we may not ever be called to speak to large numbers of people, but it does mean that we need to respond positively to opportunities because Peter recognized that this event, this moment had been set up by God so that it would be for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to be aware of those moments, small, almost insignificant that they might be at times, but that we would grab them. And even though they may be inconvenient because we know what we want to do, we know where we want to go and it may hold us back, we would still seize these opportunities. Seizing the opportunities to do something that demonstrates our love for Jesus Christ. And I came across an interesting historical example of Christians who seized an opportunity. It's, it's relevant to us now because it's got huge connections to living in a pandemic like we are right now. But this is going back to those uh, urban uh, pandemics from the second and third century. And I'm going to read a bit of a, an eyewitness account of something from nearly 2,000 years ago. It's an historic fact that when these diseases, contagion, whatever you want to call it, whenever it came upon these cities, most of the people fled the cities. But the Christians didn't. And the Christians actually stayed to minister and to look after the sick and the dying. And this is what an eyewitness said. He says, most Christians in the plague showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves, thinking only of others. And heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need, ministering to them in Christ. And many departed their lives happy, even though they had been infected by their neighbors and cheerfully accepted those pains. So many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and they died in their stead. Now, what would make someone 
do that? Why would someone care for others running the risk of injuring themselves or even dying themselves? They got the example from Jesus. Remember in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 4, it says, He was crucified in weakness so that by God's power we might live. Now, today in our society, we're thankful for doctors and nurses and all those people who who are able to attend to the, the sick and the dying, and we're appreciative of that, of course. But even within those professions, isn't it the case that there are a large number of Christians within those professions because it is part and parcel of what it means also to be a Christian that we are concerned and that we have compassion for others, which may show in some part why there are so many Christians engaged in that type of work. But if we widen it out, There's an example still that's relevant to us all about how we respond to any situation that's difficult. When you have the opportunity of showing love and compassion for Jesus Christ. And our natural response may be to run away. Peter had been used to that just a little period earlier. He was in the courtyard of the temple and you remember that Jesus had been arrested and Peter was pointed out, you are one of them. And he denied Jesus and he, in effect, ran away. But now Peter is different. He chooses to stay. He chooses to stand. And he speaks and he seizes the moment. So I see in this passage some changes that the Holy Spirit has been bringing about in Peter's and John's lives. They are interested in people, they see people, but also that they seize the opportunities that are in front of them to testify to Jesus and to point to Jesus. And as significant as those aspects of this passage are, it's not the big thing in this story. And there's something in this story that's actually bigger. And I want you now to see what I think is even bigger in this story. And I particularly want you to see this if you are not yet a Christian. So if you have not yet in your life reached that point where you have fully, finally, definitely committed your life to following Jesus, I want you to notice something in this passage. Virtually every miracle in the Bible will always be pointing forward to that grand story to that grand picture of redemption and salvation that God has enabled in Jesus Christ, the restoration of all things. James was speaking a little bit about that last week, but also every miracle is also like a little parable which speaks to us in the here and now, right where we are, and it speaks to us of our immediate need of salvation. That salvation that we can have here and now. And this story we've been reading today speaks about that in a very particular and poignant way. Look with me at verse 6. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have, what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. You know what Peter is saying in that answer? He says, you are looking for something you think will make your life better. 
But I can actually offer you something better than that. I can give you Jesus Christ. What you're looking for here when you ask for money is very superficial. You need something deeper, something that is much greater than that. And Peter is saying, don't be content with low expectations. And actually, there's a very similar story in Luke chapter 4, where another group of friends bring a crippled man to Jesus. Remember that Jesus is in a, is in a building, he's in a, he's in a house, and these guys go up onto the roof and they clear a hole and they lower this man and they bring him in front of Jesus. And as this, again, disabled man is in front of Jesus, can you remember the first thing that Jesus said to him when Jesus went over to him? The very first thing that Jesus says is, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now let's imagine that that man was not a first century Jew, but that that man was like anyone else you work with. Someone you live with. Some of your neighbors. They come in, they're paralyzed, they're set down, Jesus walks over, Jesus says, my sons, you are forgiven. Surely that man is thinking to himself, thanks, but what I really need here is that I need to walk. If you give me that, then I'm going to be happy. I need to walk. But Jesus is saying, no, that's not what you really need. What you need is your sins forgiven. So whenever Jesus says to this man, your, your sins are forgiven, whenever Peter says to the crippled man in front of him, you don't need money, what they're really saying is the one thing you need the one thing you need above everything else, the only thing you really need is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ based on God's forgiveness. But that's not how we normally think, is it? Because whenever we look at the thing that's in front of us, that's all that we think about. That's what I need. If I had that, I'd be happy. If I had that, I'd be happy and I wouldn't be unhappy anymore. And for this man in front of Jesus, Jesus says, is it only about walking? Jesus could actually point to any number of people about that room and he could say, look at all these people. They have been walking for years. But are they happy? Are you sure it's only by walking that you will be happy and never unhappy again because it takes more than just walking to make you happy. And so, what about everybody in this building today? Or what about you if you're sitting at home and watching it online? What's the one thing that you think, if only I had that, then I'd be happy and I'll never be unhappy again. And so you come to church, or maybe you listen in on this. Maybe it is silver and gold. Maybe it's inspiration. Maybe it's just some other form of help. But what 
Peter would say, what Jesus would say, is don't be content with superficial expectations. Look deeper. Look more determined about what that thing is. And perhaps, ultimately, the answer, it's down in verse 19. Where at the end of his sermon to the people, to the people Peter says, Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, as we are open books before you, we don't need to hide or pretend. You know our motivations. You know what we crave. You know what we believe will make us content and happy. Lord, poke us and challenge us so that we question those things and lift our eyes that we might understand what it is that you offer. And Lord, by your Holy Spirit, may we see the fullness in Jesus, that peace and blessing and hope so that, Lord, through all the, the ups and downs of life, you will hold us steady and that you will be firm when life is far from it. We thank you for your love for us. Amen.